All right, good morning. Good morning. That looks like a lot of fun. Maybe consider jumping in there this, uh, this spring. Well, my name is Ryan Jorgensen, and uh, I get to serve as associate pastor in case you are visiting with us, which I know we have a lot of visitors this time of year. So that's who I am. And uh, I'm actually really exceptionally excited right now because first service, you cannot share this with them. That was a little rough. That was a rough crowd. Sunday after Christmas, 8 a.m., it's raining, but it looks like everybody else showed up now, which is great. And uh, I know there's a lot of you over at North right now. I was actually in my office watching. Everybody would walk in the door, and then they'd start walking late, like within a minute later. I thought, oh, my goodness. So I'll walk in, and sure enough, this is why, because we're packed. So uh, thank you, all of you that had to go over to the other worship center. Well, um, uh, Merry Christmas once again. Uh, hopefully we all had a great time with our families as we celebrated the arrival of our Lord Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago this last week. And uh, I know my family, we actually were out of, out of state, and uh, we arrived just uh, back last night. And uh, I don't know about you, but, you know, we've been here about a year and four months now, and I have just continually grown in loving you, like loving the people of CFC, amen? It's a great group of people to love. There was a really poor amen on that. Okay, so amen. And... Um, and, and just people love to love on you and gift you and bless you here. For instance, when we got home last night, uh, we had a couple of people, a family from our church that we asked, if we have a dog, hey, can you go to our house, let them in and out every day and, and, and such. So they did that for us. It was amazing. But, you know, they felt upon themselves the desire to bless us when we got back. They left, left us a gift. So let me share with you that. Uh, that's, that's my fridge and the pantry. And you know who you are. God bless your souls, right? They wanted to give many blessings to us. So, uh, so here's the thing. If you are visiting and you're looking for a church with a bunch of people that will love on you, search no more. You have arrived. All right? So, uh, well, hey, I don't know about you, but I'm excited to get into the Word of God today. So would you open your Bibles with me to John? We're in chapter 7 today. John chapter 7. We're gearing up for 2020. So that we're going to look at some things as we look ahead that way. But John chapter 7. Now, as you're turning there, again, it's Christmas season, and I had this experience a couple weeks ago. I have a nine-year-old son, a six-year-old daughter, and uh, I wanted to take them to Walmart two Saturdays before Christmas. I'm going to say that again. Walmart two Saturdays before Christmas. <laughs> and they want to buy presents for their siblings and for mom. So we walk in. And sure enough, on the left is a bunch of toys. On the right is a bunch of toys. Everything is toys hanging everywhere. And what do you think happened? They are looking around, and they are no longer thinking about the gifts they're going to buy everybody else. They're thinking about their own things that they want to get. And so I could tell this is a train wreck. And so I took my little chicklings, and we had a little family huddle in the aisle of Walmart right there at the beginning. And I said, all right, guys, here's the deal. We are on a mission What's the mission? Who are you buying for? What are you buying? We're going to get this done. You know, we can't get distracted by these things. And it got a little better. Okay, not perfect, but it got a little better and we survived that trip. So here's the big idea of our sermon today. Jesus has called every one of us as his people on a mission. And it's exceedingly better than anything else that you and I could ever do in our lives. And so let's learn what it is. Let's stick to it. And let's really live the life that Jesus wants for us, all right? So that's the big idea. And so let's read the whole text, and then we're going to break it out from there. There it is again. All right, so John chapter 7, verse 1. After these things, 
Jesus was walking in Galilee. Now, what, we're jumping into context. So what, what things is John referring to? Uh, some of the events that have happened right up to this. Jesus has taken a handful of food and fed 5,000 men, not including women and children, supernaturally. Maybe you've heard of that. Jesus has walked on the water of the Sea of Galilee. And so those are some things that have happened. But then after that, he's walking in Galilee, this region, for he was unwilling to walk in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the feast of the Jews, the feast of booths, was near. Therefore his brothers said to him, leave here and go into Judea so that your disciples also may see your works which you are doing. For no one does anything in secret when he himself seeks to be known publicly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers were believing in him. So Jesus said to them, my time is not yet here, but your time is always opportune. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its deeds are evil. Go up to the feast yourselves, and I do not go up to the feast because my time has not yet fully come. Having said these things to them, he stayed in Galilee. But when his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he himself also went up, not publicly, but as if in secret. So the Jews were seeking him at the feast, and they were saying, where is he? There was much grumbling among the crowds concerning him. Some were saying he is a good man. Others were saying, no, on the contrary, he leads the people astray. Yet no one was speaking openly of him for fear of the Jews. What we learn in our passage today is that we have three different views of Jesus going on. And, and as we go through these, I want you to think about maybe do you have one of these views of Jesus? The first one is some people thought that he's a temporary savior who's on a temporary kind of a mission. And so again, it comes out of that text there in verse 3, I'm sorry, 12, and it says that some of the people were crowding and grumbling, and it says some were saying he's a good man. He's a good man, and not just someone in the crowd thought this, but this is actually what his own brothers shared this view about Jesus as well. That comes out in their statements earlier in verse 4 when they said to Jesus, No one does anything in secret when he himself seeks to be known publicly, Jesus. If you do these things, supernatural miracles that he was doing, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers were believing in him they, again, they thought he was a temporary savior on a temporary mission. In other words, the, the, the brothers are saying to Jesus, Hey, Jesus, why are you hanging out up here in the northern region called Galilee? This is the countryside. Uh, why don't you go to Judea, which is where Jerusalem is at, which is where the population is at, where if anybody wants to be a, anybody a somebody, let alone the leader of the Jews who will overthrow the Romans, because that's their view of he's a temporary savior, then you got to get to Jerusalem. You got to get where it's happening. That's the only way it's going to get done. It's kind of like if someone said, hey, I want to become a governor, next governor of the state of Florida, but they hang around all their time in Ocala. Nothing against them if you're from Ocala, okay? But the point is, if you're saying, I'm just going to hang around there, but I'm not going to go to Miami, I'm not going to Orlando, I'm not going to Jackson, I'm not going to Tampa, you're not going to win the election. It's just not going to happen, all right? So the brothers are thinking that Jesus, again, is a good man. 
He's a good moral teacher. Again, maybe some here might think Jesus in this way. And he's doing supernatural things. There's no debate on that. But at best, he's this earthly savior who's going to come and overthrow the Romans and free the Jews and rule the Jews and give all of his followers a great life. But in the end, we'll still die. That was the view that they had of Jesus, the temporary savior and the temporary mission. Now, if you think about it, though, if that's the case, if that's who Jesus is, as awesome as that would be for people following Jesus in that day, at the end of the day, you still die. And so really, how great is that? It's good just for this life only. That's one view of Jesus. I don't know about you, I'm so thankful that Jesus is infinitely better of a Savior than that, and we're going to see that. Here's a second view that some people, though, had of, of Jesus. Sorry, there was that. Is he's a deceiver on a deceptive mission. Some people thought he was a deceiver on a deceptive mission. And it comes out of verse 12. Again, some people say he's a good man, but others were saying no. On the contrary, he, Jesus, leads the people astray. Now, those are strong words, and, and you and I, unless we've grown up in Judaism and such, we may not understand that. See, in the minds of the Jews, when they were saying those words, he leads the people astray, they would have had in their mind text like Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 5, that God said, if anyone among you begins to lead my people astray, put them to death. That's strong words, and that's the view that the Jewish leaders had of Jesus and other people in the crowd had of Jesus, that he was basically a scam artist, that he was pulling off these tricks or things like that, but like he is not who he says he is, and he's leading God's people away from God. He's not from God. He's against God. In fact, the Jewish leaders, that's officially what they dubbed Jesus as. They ended up killing him, saying he's a, a deceiver, and and. Through Judaism, even literally to this day, that is the official view of Jesus of Nazareth. He is not what you and I as Christians and people in the church would see Jesus as. He's a deceiver. In fact, I was watching a video of a Jewish man telling his story online. And he said that when he was growing up, his, his mom in this Jewish home, when she mentioned about Jesus, she said, oh yeah, he got what he deserved. He was a deceiver of our people, and he died as he should have. So it still is true today. Maybe there's some here today. That's your view of Jesus, that he was a scam artist. And I'm, I'll say this, I'm glad you're here, because maybe you're beginning to rethink that. By the way, it's really cool in that video, that Jewish man, actually the rest of the story is he, he comes to the saving relationship with Jesus Christ and becomes a Messianic Jew. But that's the view that some people had of Jesus, a deceiver. Now, the third view of Jesus, this is actually the truth of Jesus. We're going to dissect the verses here, and, and it's going to come out here in a minute, but hang with me. If you look back to verse 1, again, after these things, Jesus is walking in Galilee, for he was unwilling to walk in Judea. That's interesting. Why? Because the Jews were seeking to kill him. So I asked the question, was Jesus afraid of people. Is Jesus afraid of these leaders and that's why he doesn't go? Well, let's find out. Look at verse 3. Therefore his brothers said to him, leave here and go into Judea. Again, that's where Jerusalem's at. 
so that your disciples also may see your works, which you are doing. For no one does anything in secret when he himself seeks to be known publicly. If you do these things, again, miracles, show yourself to the world. Again, though, is Jesus not going because he's afraid? Well, let's skip to verse 6. Jesus says this to them. This is so pivotal. This is the point. My time is not yet here. And we skip to the second part of seven. But it, the world, Jesus is not talking back, because I test, it hates me because I testify of it that its deeds are evil. Go up to the feast yourselves. I do not go up to this feast this, because my time has not yet fully come. Do you hear that phrase again? My time has not yet fully come. He says it a second time. And after said, saying these things, said, he stayed in Galilee. So I'm going to ask it again. Did Jesus not go to Jerusalem where everything's happening, not show up publicly because he's afraid of the Jews? The answer is no. But here's why. Because let me ask this. Is God afraid of people? That's an easy answer. No. Is Jesus God? Yes. Jesus cannot be afraid of people. He was not afraid of people. And again, we understand that he wasn't because he actually tells us in the text two times why he, he didn't go publicly. And it actually ties to because of who he is. We're talking about the three views of Jesus here. It's about who he is. It ties to why he didn't go. You see, Jesus didn't go because he said, my time has not yet come. In other words, he's saying, listen, if I go publicly to Jerusalem right now, brothers, they will kill me. And I will die on the cross. You say, well, what's the point of that? I mean, what's bad? I mean, isn't that what he's supposed to do anyway? But it would have happened before it should have. Maybe that's still confusing, right? So I'm going to try to break this down. Now, I'll be honest with you. As I was preparing this, I thought, oh, Lord, this is the Sunday after Christmas. We are going to be tired. And this is a complex deal that we're dealing with here. So I'm going to do my best by the grace of God, to, to break this down in the most simple way. But I'll just say this, just as my teachers used to tell me, put your thinking caps on for just a minute, okay? Hang with me on this. This is so important for us to understand. It explains a lot of why Jesus did what he did, when he did it, how he did it, etc. okay? So here's what's going on. The third view of Jesus, and this is the truth of who he is, he, he knew that he was an eternal savior on an eternal mission, an eternal Savior on an eternal mission. What's that mission? It's to save his children. That's the mission. You see, Jesus didn't just have to die on the cross. He had to die on the cross exactly in the ways that it happened as we look back now. It had to, it had to happen exactly, exactly according to this orchestrated plan that he and God, the Father and God, the Spirit, before the foundations of the world laid out that it should happen. In fact, they painted so many details. There are over 300 predictions then, details, prophecies, that they designed in this plan to save my soul and save your soul. And then they foretold mankind through prophets in the Old Testament. Here's 300 plus details about this mission of a Savior to come to save you from your sins. And it had to be perfect according to all of those. 
In our text, in what's going on, there's at least two of these 300 plus at, at, at stake. One is, one of the predictions, the Messiah, the Savior, had to die on a Passover feast. This is an annual feast of the Jewish people. Now, is that what's going on in this text? No, this is a different feast, you see? The second thing is he had to raise from the dead three days later on another feast called the Feast of First Fruits. And again, if he would win now, died, he would not have fulfilled those couple prophecies. Now, what's the big deal about that? Right? If Jesus still dies on the cross and raises from the dead, who cares about the win? It's actually everything. It's everything that he did. He had to not just do it. He had to do it exactly the way it should be. You see, this kind of a mission is very different than other missions you and I might think of. When I think of missions, I think one of the things that comes to my mind is the uh, special forces of our military. They're, they're creating these strategic missions all the time. And they have all the details down to the very minutes. But here's the difference between that and what we got going on here. Secret, or Secret Service, them too. But <laughs> the special forces, they have plan A, plan B, plan C. I don't know how many plans they probably come up with. But they are ready for adjustments in all these changes. When it comes to the ultimate mission, the mission of God saving you and I from our sins. There was one plan that the triune God came up with. There was no plan B. And it had to be perfect to fulfill every one of the 300 plus details that were foretold for you and I to be saved. The who, the, the savior, the ancestry, lineage, the place of birth of where he would come from, the year the day, the people involved, I mean, it just goes on and on. There's 300 plus details that had to be perfectly fulfilled or else it wouldn't work. It wouldn't work because here's why. If Jesus did not fulfill one of them, it would make God a liar and incompetent. And therefore, you and I would be still doomed in our sin. I'm going to say that one more time. Like I said, I have a thinking caps on, caps on. I'm telling you why Jesus didn't go when he went. Because if he went when he did, he would have not fulfilled some predictions. Even if he did die, raised from the dead. Therefore, God would be a liar and incompetent and he would not be able to save us from our sins. You and I, salvation all hinges on the fact that Jesus knew he was the eternal savior on an eternal mission. And he stuck to it and fulfilled it perfectly. Right? I don't know about you guys, but I am so thankful as I study and I learn these things and I see those statements come out. My time has not yet fully come and I watch Jesus' life. I am so thankful that Jesus did it perfectly so that I could be forgiven of my sins. So is that our view of Jesus today? That he is the eternal Savior sent from God 2,000 years ago. And he fulfilled the plan perfectly, dying on the cross for my sins, raising from the dead perfectly. Why? So that my sins can be forgiven. Do we believe that? So that we can receive God, the Holy Spirit, living inside of us. And so that we can have eternity forever with him. 
If you're here today and you're like, I don't believe that, I don't, I don't do that yet, man, I just plead with you, would you do that? Believe those facts, humble yourself, repent before the Lord, and he will be your personal savior as well. So that's the three views of Jesus, but that's the truth right there. He is the eternal savior on eternal mission. What does this mean for us today? Well, first, we got to make sure we understand as God's people that Jesus had his mission, but he's also now called you and I on our own mission as his followers. Do you know that? Being a Christian isn't just, I'm going to go to heaven. There's a mission that Jesus has actually called us on. I want us to bathe in four last statements of Jesus that applies to you and I today. Listen to what he says to us. Matthew 28, Jesus says, go therefore and what? Make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Are we doing this? I want us to bask in his last words. Acts 8, 1, 8, Jesus says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Praise the Lord. And you shall be my, what? Witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth, we are to be his witnesses. Jesus said in Luke 24, thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. That's great, Jesus. Who's going to do that? You are witnesses of these things, you and I. And finally, one more, John 20, Jesus said to them, again, peace be with you. That sounds good. As the Father has sent me, he was on a mission, what? I also send you. We bask in this, and here's the point, is Jesus has given us a mission. What's the mission? And that is that you and I would be making disciples who will make disciples. That's the mission. As a follower of Jesus, he had a mission, our mission by him is to make disciples who makes disciples. What does that mean? That we take this beautiful thing called the gospel of Jesus Christ and we share it with unbelievers around us. And when God so chooses to save people and they receive it positively, then what? We train them to obey everything that Jesus taught and train them how to then share the gospel with others and make disciples of others. That's the mission that Jesus has called you and I on. So are we fulfilling this mission? Are we involved in making disciples who make disciples in our lives? Or maybe, maybe some of us, and if we're honest, all of us at times have this, we get distracted sometimes, don't we? We can get distracted from this mission. And, and so for you and I, we got to make sure that we what? We ditch any distractions that might come up from fulfilling this mission to make disciples who make disciples. And as we study this text, Jesus, again, he had his mission, and uh, he had some distractions come his way. And yet, he was able to avoid them and stick to the mission. We can learn from some of these same things. So remember, Jesus, uh, he, one of the distractions really was this idea that he's going to be this temporary savior of the Jewish people. He's going to overthrow the Romans. And if you think about it, that would have brought him a lot of good things in his life then. There's at least three types of rewards that he could have had from that kind of a thing. And yet Jesus ditched it, 
stuck to the mission. But these kinds of distractions are still things we could deal with today. Check this out. One of them is a positive reputation. I want to have a positive reputation with everybody, no matter what it costs me. See, Jesus, he had to deal with this. Uh, was he going to go along and be the savior of the people and overthrow the Romans and have everybody like him? Is that what happened? Well, listen again to what Jesus said right here in our text in verse 6. He says to his brothers, my time is not yet here, talking about his true mission, dying on the cross, but your time is always opportune. Why? Because they're unbelievers. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me. Because why? I testify of it that its deeds are evil. Does it sound like Jesus is enjoying positive reputation all the time? He's not. And it's fascinating because it says that it, he's talking about the world hates him. A lot of times we think only the Jewish leaders hated Jesus, but everybody else loved him. Like the Jewish leaders are the only bad guys in the story. No, by the end, everybody for the most part hated Jesus and actually killed him. Why? Well, look at it again. Because I testify of it that its deeds are evil. Here's what's going on. Jesus is saying this. Listen, I'm giving the whole gospel message, which includes what we call the bad news. I am pointing out in love that mankind, you guys are sinners. You are rebels. You're born with this nature. You're rebels against your creator. It's the truth. It's a hard thing to hear, but it's true. You're, you're evil, right? Now, of course, he also gave them the good news. Hey, I'm about to go die on the cross for that. I'm going to save. I'm going to offer a way for you to be saved from your sins and be forgiven and enjoy eternal life with me. But here's the thing. Because he says it, because he points out they are sinners, so many people, majority of people, didn't like him, no matter how nice he was, no matter how many miracles he did. It was offensive to them. I don't know about you, but I have thought so many times about when I need to share the gospel. God's called me this mission to share the gospel with unbelievers. And, and I'm like, Lord, do I really? Ah, I got to share the gospel with people, which means I got to include the fact that there's the bad news too. You know? Can't just say, hey, you're a great person. Just add Jesus into your life. That's how it works. We've got to talk about sin because you can't be saved unless we humble ourselves, repent of our sin, right? And so as I'm sitting there with my neighbors, my, you know, not my coworkers, thankfully, on that, um, uh, <laughs> but my family members that are unbelievers, you know, like I don't want to be that guy. Everybody's like, oh, here he comes. You know, he's, you know, he thinks he's better than everybody else and, you know, this stuff. And you know what I'm talking about? Where, where, like, you walk in, you can tell everybody was just talking about you at the family, you know, get-together, and now they're nice to you, but you can tell they were just talking not nice about you, you know? And it, why? Because you've talked about Jesus, but you've also included the sin thing, and they didn't like it? Like, I feel you on that. It's not fun. I mean, who likes to be disliked, all right? If you do, there's a Hope Center for you. That's not normal, okay? <laughs> all right? We don't. We don't like to be disliked. But listen to what else Jesus said. And this is, he's talking to the Pharisees, but it applies to you and I today. Luke 6, he says, woe to you when what? All men speak well of you. The Pharisees were compromising things they shouldn't have because they wanted positive reputation in the eyes of everybody around. 
Guys, that's not how it's supposed to be for you and I. Jesus modeled this. He gave up a positive reputation with the masses, and he stuck to the mission. You and I, let's make sure we ditch that. Be willing to share the gospel, the whole gospel, including the bad news, because you can't get the good news without the bad news. And just get used to people not liking it sometimes. Let's do that. Here's a second distraction. Is uh, career advancement can be a distraction. Career advancement can be. Again, look at Jesus, okay? If you look at that idea that he's this political figure who can overthrow the Romans and set the Jews free. So Jesus could have, like, taken hold of that and worked hard at that political career, spent all of his time building up the, the rapport with the people, and then eventually, you know, let's make our weapons and, and do the warfare. And, of course, he's God. He could have easily won all of that, but he didn't, did he? Because we wasn't his mission. Just a newsflash. It's coming, though. Second return. Praise the Lord. But this mission was to die for you and I. And he ditched those distractions. Now, for you and I, same thing can be a distraction. Now, no way, shape, or form is God ever in the scripture saying, don't work hard in your careers, and it's wrong if you do. In fact, there's verses that says we should be some of the hardest working people around as Christians. But what we're talking about here is when our career advancement becomes greater than our desire to fulfill our mission as a follower of Jesus. Where most of our time is being spent, if not all of our time is being spent moving up the ladder and whatever it is that we're doing, and we're barely doing anything and making disciples for the glory of God. So we just got to make sure that we stay away from that kind of a distraction and keep things the way they should be checks and balances. One way to put it is that we look at our career as a means to fulfill the great commission in our lives, right? So here's the second uh, distraction. I'm sorry, third. Jesus had to deal with was financial comforts. Financial comforts. It's pretty clear and obvious if Jesus would have become this temporary savior of the Jews, it would have brought a lot of finances into his pocket. And of course, all the comforts that come from money. Money just can help you live a more comfortable life. There's no debate on that. But of course, Jesus was like, no, I'm on a mission to die and be raised from the dead for my children. And he stuck to it. But the same temptation can be for us today, can it? Got to get more money, got to get more money, got to be able to have the comforts of the things of this world. And yet, there's nothing wrong with making money, okay? There's actually a spiritual gift of giving, okay? So, It's not wrong in and of itself, but when it becomes the greatest thing and passion of mine. And then next thing you know, you're not doing anything in making disciples for the glory of God. Because we want finances and the comforts of those things. I know, I have a great friend that just confessed this to me. You know, we're just sharing about the things of God. He's like, you know, God's blessed me with money, but it's an ongoing struggle and temptation and potential distraction. That I find myself consumed more about the finances and the things I can get from it and doing those things. And I lose sight of this mission to be involved in making disciples of all nations. And I have the same kind of thing flare up in me. In fact, holiday season is one of those. Where I go spend time with other family members and I'm what? Looking around at all the stuff they got. Thinking, oh man, I wish I had that. You know, so you got discontentment in there. Then I'm thinking, what do I, you see what I'm saying? And so it's a distraction we got to make sure we stay away from that. So let me ask this. 
These are just three kinds of distractions right there that Jesus could have been facing, that he did, that you and I, but there's so many other kinds. Some of them are wrong in and of themselves, and we are just to reject them completely. There's stuff in our lives that's just sin, right? And we just got to say, Lord, I'm giving it to you. Would you please take this away? Give me the power of your spirit. Get this. Jesus ditched distractions so that you and I can because he gives us the Holy Spirit who empowers us too. And so some things we just got to cut it out of our life. There's other things. They're not wrong in and of themselves, but we need to realign them. We need to adjust them. Maybe lessen it. Maybe I'm not going to work, you know, do so much here and there to get better in career. I'm going to do a little bit less so that I can make sure I'm also fulfilling the greatest mission within Jesus Christ in the church. So think about that as we go into 2020. What, what kinds of things may the Lord me uh, having us to give up? Now, distractions take us backwards. Then there's neutrality, but that's also not good too. That's called I, uh, idleness, right? To actually be a part of the mission of God, there's actually active, continuous things that you and I need to be doing in our lives. So what are some ways to stick to the mission? Let me just give quickly, here's five ways we can stick to the mission of Jesus Christ. One, are we praying for the lost? Pray regularly for unbelievers in your lives. You see, like, I, I can't say it enough, and I know I don't get this as deep as I should, but prayer is powerful, right? Prayer is powerful. James 5.16, God says this. And when you and I are sharing the gospel with people, I, I, I'm not going to say this to offend anybody, but it doesn't matter how eloquent I am and how eloquent you are and how beautiful and awesome it was in your presentation of the gospel. It was just so amazing. Like, you and I are never going to save someone into the kingdom of God by our presentation of the gospel. In fact, the last I checked, God can use donkeys and rocks. Okay? Right? But God chooses to use us opening our mouths. We're going to get to that. Giving the gospel. But as we pray and we ask the Holy Spirit to open the eyes, spiritual eyes of a person we just share the gospel, he brings many to salvation. Prayer is so important. Work this into your life. I know my, for my family, we, we uh, try to, every time we have a meal and every night when we go to bed, we have prayer as a family. And we try to work this into our prayers, praying for our unbelieving neighbors, praying for our unbelieving uh, family members, you know, getting my kids to pray for their friends and at school and all that. And we're praying because we're trying to apply this. So important. Pray for the lost. Here's the second thing is prepare to share. Prepare to share what? The gospel. In other words, when you become a Christian, most of us, we don't just like, you know, pray, Lord, here's my life. Become a Christian. Bam. Now I know exactly everything of how to share the gospel with someone else. Okay. So sometimes it just takes preparation. There's actually verses that says we need to prepare how to share the gospel. Are we doing that? Um, are we taking advantage of opportunities to learn what the gospel is and how to share it? Um, I know there's an equipping class coming up in the life of our church here this later this spring called Bless. I highly encourage you to go through that. If you haven't, it teaches you how to share the gospel with other people. There's a million and one books you can buy on the gospel and how to share the gospel. Buy those. Read them. 
Uh, I know for senior hires, you've got an uh, evangelism uh, uh, opportunity coming up, training at the end of January with some guest people coming in. Take advantage of that. Let's prepare so we're ready to share the gospel. Third, engage in conversation. That means we actually need to open our mouths and share the gospel. There's so many times that I've talked to people and they're like, oh, I just read this great book on evangelism and I learned all these things. Or I just went to this evangelism class or this evangelism conference and I learned all these things on how to share the gospel. And I'm like, that's awesome. That's great. You're preparing to share. So have you had any spiritual conversations with anybody lately? Well, well I don't know, but I know the gospel inside and out. <laughs> right? That's awesome. But we got to open our mouths. Guys, listen, listen, listen. I can pray for my neighbor to become a Christian. And I should. We just talked about that. But the Lord's also called me. I got I to gotta share the gospel with them, right? People can't be saved unless they hear the gospel. And so let's make sure we're looking for and taking advantage of spiritual conversations. Some of us, we still have some family to get together with over this holiday. And I just want to challenge you in love to be prayed up and ready possibly to have some spiritual conversations. Here's a fourth way we can stick to the mission. is We want to disciple believers to make disciples of others. Get into disciple making. Again, just like sharing the gospel, it takes some training to do this. So if you've never been discipled and trained how to disciple other people, we've got you covered here at CFC. It's one of my favorite things at the church. I happen to get to be able to serve in it as well. But we have these things called DX groups, discipleship multiplication groups. And the whole purpose of these is to train you not just how to love Jesus deeper, but also how to make disciples of other people. If you haven't done that, sign up, get into one into the new year so you can become a disciple maker. But I'll say this, if you have been through one of those, in the past they were called life on life groups, remember that? I'm going to ask this, are you actually discipling anybody right now? Outside of your own kids, that's a given as a parent, okay? But like, are you, are you discipling anybody outside of your family? So I want to encourage and challenge you, get into a disciple-making role this next year in 2020. Whether that's to start a DX group, that would be awesome. We could take you for sure. But maybe it's other ways. Maybe you get to the counseling training this, this next spring and become a counselor. That's a form of disciple-making. Maybe you get into senior high or, or junior high, the discipleship groups. You know, Check into that. Maybe become a leader in those. We just heard a video. We need disciple makers in the kids' ministry and to Truth Quest in those kinds of ways. Uh, maybe it's teaching one of the adult classes. Maybe it's I'm going to go on a short-term mission and make disciples wherever that is for a short-term time. Maybe even so, so much this, we ask the Lord and say, God, are you calling me to be a disciple maker overseas full-time? Are we running these things before the Lord? Are we taking a part in making disciples? Here's a fifth way to stick to the mission, is to give to the mission. Now, I know this is not a newsflash, but the world runs on money, right? And God has designed it that his kingdom being built in this world also takes money. The mission of God takes money. And the mission includes both local and global. And God has called you and I to be a part of that with our own finances, to contribute generously to giving finances to the advancement of the gospel, to the mission. So are we doing that? Starting with the local, the church. Have we been giving to the church the way that we believe God is calling us to do? If not, let's, let's say, hey, 2020 is a new year. Lord, I'm going to step it up to what you have laid on my heart to give to my church. And then it goes out from there. 
Maybe you know some people who are serving the Lord as missionary to some college campus ministry. And they need funds to keep doing that. Maybe you can start giving to that this year. And all the way to the ends of the earth, we have a number of missionaries at this church. Maybe you'll consider joining one of their sending teams and financially also giving to get these people, these brothers and sisters of ours, on the field or keep them on the field if they're already there. Let's make sure we're giving to the mission of God. So as we ponder these things, let me just share one awesome story. There's so many stories of people at this church that I believe are getting this concept. That I'm called to make disciples who make disciples, and they're actively ditching these distractions in this world, and it's showing evidence, and they're constantly doing things that are making disciples. So let me just share one. This couple, they wanted to remain anonymous. But this couple, they say back in the 2000s, early 2000s, they went to a missions conference. And God had laid on their heart and challenged them that they were being distracted by a lot of things in this world. They loved Jesus, but they were being distracted. And that God was calling them to step it up and be more involved in the mission and making more disciples. And so one of the things they did is they gave up a second house they owned and they sold it. Why? So that they could start giving more to missionaries overseas. They ended up joining a sending team and helping missionaries in the advancement of the gospel and also parachurch ministries. They also, the, the husband in his career, he felt like God was calling him to take, make, take more stands for the Lord in his workplace. And he had to suffer some promotion uh, passes on him because of his faith in Jesus Christ. Both of them as a couple began to make more disciples within the local church. They began to lead men's discipleship groups, women's discipleship groups, family groups, etc. I love those kinds of stories, guys. Like, these are the kind of heroes. They get it, don't they? And uh, it's so encouraging. So here's what I want to challenge us with is this. We're, we're, we're ready for 2020. So are there any distractions we need to start getting rid of? But also, what are we doing to make disciples who make disciples? Because we have the greatest hero of all, don't we? And his name is Jesus. And I'll say it again, I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful that out of his love for me and for you, he stuck to his mission, hung on that cross, rose from the dead three days later, and has forgiven me of all my sins. I am so not worthy of it, but he did it for me and he did it for you. And I'll say, just tell you this, it's the last point here, right? We should praise Jesus. Praise Jesus for that completed mission that he has done for you and I. And so I thought it'd be fitting we stand and we close out praising him for what he's done. From heaven's throne you came to us set your heart upon the cross we'll never know the sacrifice you made for all our sin and all our shame you took the nails and took our place no one else could do what you have done one name is higher 
asking the Lord how we can be discipled or disciple others in order that they will be disciple makers as well. I hope you would do that and I hope you have a blessed rest of the day and we'll see you next time. Thanks for being here.